a boldness. Some people have it naturally, and others don't. And I like to think in my life that I've always been bold and have never really been afraid to just step out in that boldness. I've always liked to consider myself a brave, bold person. But I know it's not true, and I know it's not true because I've had times in my life that I internally cowered in fear, afraid to act on a simple task. And I'll give you an illustration, an example of this. One of those times in my life that I was afraid to act and that I cowered in fear was when I was in college at Texas Tech University. College is a time of growing up. It's a time of finding yourself, finding freedom. And for many people, it is a time that you find the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Or for many people, that is your goal of college. When I was growing up, it was commonly for, for women that went to college, they were going for an MRS degree. Um, and uh, I was like, That's, that, that, I just can't do that. But, but for me, this was difficult. It was not uncommon for my friends, for, for several of my friends, to have multiple dates in a week, all with different girls. This was not me. I could not do this. That never came to pass. And I'm not complaining because I've got Mandy and God brought me to her and we celebrate that, yes. But when I was 20, 21 years old, this was a problem. I was a chicken. I was a coward. Because when it came to asking out girls on a date or even when I went to the local country dance hall with my buddies to even ask them to dance, I was deathly afraid. I had this insane fear of rejection. The stupid thing that if a girl said no, I was done. And so, like, if I went out to one of my fraternity parties and there was dancing going on, and yes, I know I'm Baptist, but we danced, um, and I was there, and I would ask a girl to dance, if she said no, I would not ask a girl to dance, another girl, the rest of the night, because I couldn't handle that rejection. I was, I was unbold. <laughs> there was no bold, boldness in me at all. Game over. I had a really good social life, didn't I? But I had a fraternity brother, and I'm not going to tell you his name, but I had a fraternity brother, and he had some real guts. Now, this was the guy that, that wasn't real good at getting dates, but it wasn't for a lack of trying because he wasn't afraid of any girl. No matter how far out of, his league, out of their league he was, or out of his league they were, let's rephrase that, it didn't matter. He was going to go talk to them, he was going to ask them to dance, and ultimately he was going to ask them out on a date. He would go right up to them and just start talking. He'd ask them to dance, and unfortunately for, for him, oftentimes they said no, and that was just the vibe that he put off. But it didn't stop him. It didn't deter him. He was like, okay, who's next? And he just had this boldness about it. When he got rejected by one, he dusted it off and just moved on. 
it didn't bother him. He wasn't going to let it ruin his evening. And oh, how I envied him. Because if I just had an ounce of his courage, an ounce of his boldness, then I could get any date that I wanted. Or at least I tried to believe that. But I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I was so afraid. I was such a coward to do that. I did not have any belief in my social skills. He was bold, and I was not. So today we're going to start our new series on being bold in Christ and how the early church lived in boldness and how we can do the same today. And I'm really excited about this because it's just a continuation of coming out of the Last Word series. It's a continuation of what Jesus and, and what God was doing in the early days of the, the, uh, of the beginnings of the church, the beginnings of the movement we call Christianity. And, and, and how when, when we look at the boldness that they lived with, and we start to live with that same kind of boldness, how the world is impacted for the glory of God. And I think that's so crucial in a time right now that God needs to be made known. And God's name needs to be famous. So what is boldness? I want to give you a quick definition of what boldness means. And boldness is behavior born out of belief. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. And in Acts chapter 4, this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time in this series. Acts chapter 4, we find incredible actions of boldness that help us position ourselves to help point others to Jesus. And so let's do a little backstory on the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Luke. We know the name Luke because there's a gospel named Luke. Same guy. Luke was a medical doctor, and he wrote the book of Luke, and then continued, it's kind of a continuation of what he wrote in the gospel in the book of Acts. And he continued telling the story. So he was a medical doctor, and he was on the scene of everything. And one of the main themes, if you read through the entire book of Acts, and if you would like to join us in reading through the book of Acts, on the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, we have a 28-day Bible plan, Bible reading plan that starts today that takes you through the book of Acts. And we're going to journey through that together as a church. But in the book of Acts, the main, one of the main themes is that the people were bold. They lived with this boldness that cannot be natural. It's supernatural. And so they, 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 they had to be bold. And the reason why they had to be bold is because they believed. They believed in Jesus. They'd seen the power of Jesus and the miracles that were happening at rapid pace since the ascension of Jesus. And their bold behavior was born out of this belief in Jesus. This bold behavior was born out of the belief in he is who he says he is and he did the things that he said he was going to do. And they witnessed it. And so at the end of Acts chapter 1, which is where we ended last week with the, the ascension of Jesus... At the end of Acts chapter 1, we see that, that the disciples come together and they need to replace Judas. Judas is no longer with them. He betrayed Jesus. They need to replace him. So they, they appoint Matthias. And then in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, this is where we see the Holy Spirit descending upon the apostles. Jesus had, had said this was going to happen. Stay in the city until the power of God comes upon you. This happens, the Holy Spirit. And what happens here is that when the power of the Holy Spirit descends upon them and they um, begin to receive that spirit, things get a little chaotic. Things get a little crazy. 
So much so that the people that are witnessing it, that are, that are surrounding this, the locals, they believed that the apostles were drunk. And this is the first time we see what our topic is today, boldness in speech. Boldness in speech. Because when this is happening, when all this mo- moment is happening of chaos and confusion and nobody knows what's going on, Peter, here we go again, Peter steps up and preaches boldly the gospel. And if you look in Acts chapter 2, you see that on that day, 3,000 were added to the number. So Peter gets up, and I, and I am just fascinated by this whole scene. Anytime this happens, when Jesus was, was speaking and when the apostles were speaking, I have a microphone to speak to 150 of you. They had no such technology, and, and 3,000 people were saved. So think about how large that crowd was. So Peter speaks boldly, 3,000 were saved, and in that moment, that's when the, the early church was born. We see the church born as a fellowship of believers. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, you start to see the book begin to describe how a church should function, how church members should, should act with each other, how we should take care of each other and provide for each other. Then we move into Acts chapter 3, and we start to see some other things happen. Peter and John um, go to the temple, and on their way to the temple, a lame beggar is carried up to them. And this beggar had, had, was well known because he was always laying at the gates to the temple. And, and, and he's carried up to them and he requests alms. Alms for the poor. Um, he, he, he just needs some, some, some financial help. And Peter responds to him and says, we have no money, but he gives him a better gift. The, he says, we have no money, but what I do have is this. Stand up and walk. So this man can't make money because he is a cripple. He's lame. He can't work. Peter now gives him the gift to be able to do that, to be able to walk, to be able to now provide for himself. And so this was a, the gift of walking, the gift of no longer being, having to lay at the gate because he could not move himself. Now he can get up and go. And it says, that when I mean, this was a miracle, no doubt, and it says the people were amazed. And so Peter takes advantage of this moment. And remember, he just preached a sermon a few days ago that 3,000 people were saved. Peter gets up and he preaches another gospel message. So now we've got Peter rising up, being bold, stepping out in faith, being courageous and speaking truth. And remember, this is the same Peter that always stuck his foot in his mouth that always acted before he thought and did stupid things, and he denied Christ three times. But as we looked at last week, Jesus not only restored the fellowship with Peter, he restored Peter to ministry. And now Peter is taking that to the next level, and he is preaching and proclaiming boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his time to be bold. And so... As he's doing this, as he's sharing this in Acts chapter 3, what we see is there's a group of religious leaders there. Here they come again. And these religious leaders um, are priests and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are a group of Jewish people, a group of Jewish religious leaders that do not believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in a literal resurrection of the body. So with this, we become to have a problem Because if they don't believe in the resurrection, how can they believe in the gospel, right? 
And so, so as he's speaking, as Peter's preaching the gospel of a resurrected Christ, the Sadducees and the, and the priests hear this, and they get upset. They disagree with him. And they get upset, and mainly because they were part of the groups that had condemned Jesus to death. And so they, they, they are starting to see this uprising again. The same thing they thought they had finished, here it comes again. They're going to have to deal with it again. And so they arrest Peter and John. And it says in, 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 in Scripture that, that it was late in the day, and so they held them over to the next day. So Peter and John spend the night in prison, and they hold them over the next day. But look at what Acts chapter 4 says. Acts 4.4. 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So in two messages that Peter spoke boldly the gospel of Christ, 8,000 people were saved. This man who stuck his foot in his mouth all the time, and now 8,000 people have come to know Christ. And not only that, if you look back at the end of Acts chapter 2, when it talks about the fellowship of believers, the scripture says that many were added to the number each day. So it's at least 8,000 plus. The movement has begun. The, The movement of the church has going. And this is exactly why Peter and John are arrested here. Because these religious leaders had been so afraid of what Jesus was going to do. And now they're seeing it happening and Jesus isn't even on the scene. It's his, it's his disciples. And what they're seeing as, is as Peter continues to preach these messages, he's getting bolder and bolder and bolder. He's getting stronger in what he does. He's getting more comfortable in the new Peter. The Peter that has been restored and redeemed and can reclaim the power to preach the gospel. So here in Acts chapter 4, we see that as they've been arrested, the next morning they go before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the Jewish council of leaders. And and this involves Annas and Caiaphas. You recognize the name Caiaphas? So Caiaphas is the high priest and he was actually the high priest that Jesus went in front of before he was resurrected. These men here mentioned were directly responsible for the death of Jesus. And now they've got Peter and John, probably the two most well-known disciples of Jesus. They've got them in their sights as well, and they've got them in their custody. And so let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 7, and see what happens. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? This is the exact same question that they asked Jesus when they, when they um, put Jesus on trial. By whose authority are you doing this? By what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, 
for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so what we see here is a message of boldness. Peter is in prison, been arrested, and now he's going to trial. He has just seen Jesus go through the same trial and be crucified. And then what does Jesus say to Peter before he ascends? You're going to go through the same thing. You're going to die a death very similar to what I just felt, I just experienced. So Peter very could, easily could have said, not yet, I'm not ready to go. I'm going to just kind of hide some things until I feel like it's my time. But he doesn't do that. Peter says, here it is. And I'm going to boldly proclaim who Jesus is and that the only way to salvation is through him. And I'm going to preach it to the very people that condemned him to die. That's boldness. But where does Peter get this boldness? And look at what it says. The Holy Spirit qualifies you to be bold. The Holy Spirit qualifies you to be bold. In Acts 4, 7, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verses four, Acts 4, 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. So, they don't think that Peter and John have the qualifications to do what they're doing. But it says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, several years ago, um, I spent a few years working as a college minister at a church in Norman, Oklahoma, ministering to University of Oklahoma students. That was a very weird time in my life. Um, having to understand what Boomer Sooner meant just did not work. But I spent time um, with them, and I loved them getting to know uh, what a 18 to 22-year-old is, how they're trying to navigate the world today um, on their own for the first time. I got to develop some really close relationships. But as part of this, I got to be a part of a group of, of um, collegiate ministers that specifically worked in churches. There's not many of them around the, world, around the, the nation. It's, it's rising, but at the time there weren't. And we all gathered uh, once a year for, for a, a mini conference. And, and we went to this conference, and there's about 40 of us, and our wives were with us as well. And there's about 40 of us there. And it was really cool because the reason it was really cool was we were all doing the exact same type of ministry on, on public university campuses through the lens of a church, through the arm of a church. Um, unlike a parachurch organization like the BSU or something, we were actually the local church ministering on the campuses. And there were about 40 of us, and we were talking through it. And, and because of some connections that were made and, and, and different things, we were able to have a caliber of talent to speak and lead worship at this conference that a lot of big-name conferences can't even get. So our keynote speaker for the weekend was a guy by the name of Matt Chandler. If you've ever heard of Matt Chandler, um, he's, a, he's a pastor in the Dallas area. He's an author. Um, he's a speaker. He speaks um, all over the world. He does Bible, uh, video Bible studies. He's, he, he writes books. Um, he was a speaker at the If Gathering. And uh, um, he, he's, he's big name. 
And the worship leader was a guy named Charlie Hall. And if you know, don't know who Charlie Hall is, if you're familiar with the passion movement and passion worship, Charlie was one of the leading edges of that. He helped start that with Louis Giglio. Um, and really a lot of the songs that we sing today have come from Charlie Hall, um, uh, either f- directly from him or from his influence on today's worship leaders. So these guys were the cream of the crop when it comes to the world of ministry. And one of those times that you're like, there's 40 of us in the room. Um, and so like, you're just starstruck. You're in awe. Wow. I'm like hanging out with Matt Chandler, you know? Um, and if you're in ministry world, that that's a big deal. Um, or it shouldn't be, but it was, um, we were blessed and honored to have them there. And so before one of the sessions, and I'm just soaking everything in that I can because I'm getting to learn from somebody who I think is way more qualified than me. And before one of the sessions begins, the guy who was in charge of the entire conference, who put everything together and was, was making things, he comes to me and he says, hey, will you go pray to start the session? Will you go up on stage and pray to start the session? And I said, sure. Didn't think about it. Pulled a Peter and just said, sure. And so I go up there. And uh, I didn't realize the situation I was about to be in. Because I step up on stage, and a guy steps up to the right of me, and it's Charlie Hall. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, because when I listen to Charlie Hall's music, I learn so much theology and doctrine in his music that I'm like, I'm not qualified to speak next to him. Well, then I feel this towering shadow because he's like six foot seven. Matt Chandler comes to the left of me. So I've got Matt here and Charlie Hill here. I've never felt more inadequate in my life, more unqualified. And I'm about to pray into a microphone for the session. All I can remember the whole time that I'm praying out loud, I don't even know what I prayed, was God, please don't let me say something theologically wrong or stupid. Because if you've ever heard Matt speak, he would have called me out in the room right then. I felt so unqualified and so inadequate. I felt like I couldn't be bold. But for those of us that follow Jesus, those of us that have discovered the life-saving power of Jesus, and because of our salvation, because of us placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we receive the qualifications to be bold, no matter who we are. Romans 8, chapter 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So when you become a believer, the Spirit is in you. The Spirit lives in you. So there's a few things here that I want to point out. When we look at the fact that the Holy Spirit qualifies you, when we look at this passage, the first thing I want you to see is that Peter and John were judged prematurely. Peter and John were judged prematurely. They were not prepared um, because of who they were, because of who Peter and John were. Remember, Peter's profession was as a professional fisherman. Um, They didn't have the formal education, and they weren't part of the right group of people. So the religious leaders judged them saying, there's no way they can speak truth. There's no way they can speak truthfully. But what happens is, and I jumped ahead and I'm sorry. So uh, we're on point two now. Speaking boldly will shock 
the world. Speaking boldly will shock the world. Um, here is, is where Peter and John are judged prematurely. It's when they shock the world. So they weren't perceived to be knowledgeable. And in my last church, I had a man in my church who, when you give first glance, you would not think that he was very knowledgeable. He was a textbook definition of a hillbilly. And I came to love this man probably more than anybody else at that church. Because one summer, we were going to do a Bible study with my students at my house, and he texted me. And he said, hey, can I come to that Bible study? And I'm like, okay. And he comes to that Bible study, and I've been preparing for this Bible study and, 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 and all this stuff. And he walks in, and he's got a stack of notes, cover to cover, top to bottom, of the most rich, in-depth breakdown of the scripture that we were studying that I've ever heard. I never would have guessed this would have come out of that man. And he became probably one of the best, if not the best, small group leader to 6th, 7th, and 8th grade boys, which is a gift that I've ever seen. I judged him prematurely before I got to know him. And when I got to know his heart and his, his knowledge, I was blown away. He shocked me. Peter and John were prematurely judged. And so they were shocked that they were able to speak. Secondly, I believe that these people were shocked by the message. They weren't prepared for Peter to use the scriptures to confront them on their sin of putting Jesus to death. He called them out. They weren't ready for that. Have you ever been in a situation when... um, Someone calls somebody else out. I love that. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, it's about to be on. Because they're calling them out directly. They're not, they're not sugarcoating it. They're not pulling any punches. They're just going right for the jugular. And that's what Peter does here. And so, so when he calls them out and speaks directly to their sin of putting Jesus to death, he's convicting them. He's the one on trial, and he's now flipping the tables and convicting them. But then he also talks about Jesus being the stone that was direct, that was rejected, and he has become the cornerstone. It's a direct reference to Psalm 118, 22, and 23, which says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And so the message itself is going to bring amazement to the world. The message itself that this man was rejected by the world, was put to death, and now he is the cornerstone of our faith and of our churches is going to shock the world. And so Peter and John weren't qualified in their eyes, and the message was shocking in itself. But here's the third thing that I think here. And after all the events had taken place the last few months, it wouldn't be out of question for the leaders to, to, to be convicted here. But this third thing has to do with our world today. When we are bold with our speech, it shocks people. Right? When you shoot straight from the hip with someone, 
they're blown away. Because we live in a world today, a culture that's not ready for it. We have to be politically correct. We can't offend anyone. We can't speak the truth because someone's feelings might be hurt. And so when we speak that truth boldly, when we boldly preach a resurrected Christ who died for our sins, rose again, and that we are all sinners, every single one of us that takes a breath or step on earth, we are all sinners, that's an offensive message. And people are offended when they hear us say it. Because the gospel is offensive. And the reason it is offensive, especially in our culture today, is that it's because it is a direct attack on the enemy that is overtaking our culture. And so the, the enemy makes those people offended. It's not what you're doing. You're speaking truth. It's the enemy that's twisting what they're hearing. And they become offended. Because it's overtaking our culture and telling us that we have to be tolerant and accepting of everything. And if we become that, and if we just love everyone, and if we do good things, then we're all going to be in a happy place when we die. And that's not what Scripture says. Peter says the only way to heaven is through Jesus and through a resurrected Christ. He's bold. And this shocks the world. But here's the most important thing about what happens when we speak boldly. When we speak boldly, people see Jesus. Look at what the last part of chapter, verse 13 says. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized they'd been with Jesus. When we boldly proclaim the gospel, people see Jesus. It is what it is. Because if we're speaking bold, if, we, if we're speaking out of truth, if we're speaking the true gospel, you can't hide Jesus in the gospel because he is the gospel. And so the leaders here recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus based on the things they were saying, and not just based on the things they were saying, but that they were saying them with authority. They weren't him hawing around. Peter's just going at it. He's speaking the truth. It's funny how people begin to act like other people the more and more they're around them. Especially when you've spent a lot of time with someone, they start to pick it up. They pick up traits, speech patterns, hand gestures, how to deal with things. And I've told you that I love sports, and I'm going to bring a sport in that a lot of you might not know about, but it's the sport of hockey. And I love hockey. It came to Dallas when I was a freshman in high school, and, and, and we just got immersed in that culture. Um, but in the sport of hockey, every team has a team captain. Now, other sports all have a team captain, um, but in hockey, it really means something. If you are a captain, you have the ultimate leadership qualities. And it's a big, big deal when a team names you a captain. And that captain is almost revered in the locker room. Those teammates look to him as the ultimate leader. They look and they see the things that he does, the way he goes about his business, the things that he says. 
There's different types of captains in hockey. Some of them are rah-rah, exuberant, uh, lead with my voice captains. They come in and they say this motivational speech that then everybody just wants to run through a wall. But there's other captains in hockey that they lead more by example. They're follow-me captains. They don't speak a lot, but their actions speak louder than words. Now, the hockey team that I like is the Dallas Stars. They're my favorite team. And they have a captain named Jamie Benn. And Jamie Benn has been around for a while. He's a really great hockey player. Um, But he is a lead-by-example type of captain. He doesn't say much, but they follow him. And they, and, and they follow him. And, and when he is interviewed, Mary doesn't say much, but when he's interviewed, he has this certain cadence and rhythm that, uh, that when you, if you're just listening but you're not watching, you know exactly who it is. Do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? Like there's certain people that when you hear them speak, even if you don't see them speaking, you know exactly who it is based off the, the cadence and the rhythm and, and, and the inflections in their voice. And, and Jamie Benn has that, that certain thing about him. And uh, uh, the interesting thing that, that leads to this is this season, they have a rookie goaltender on the team. And his name is Jake Ottinger. And Jake is young. Jamie's in his 30s. Jake is like 22 years old. He's projected, expected to become the starting goalie in a few years. Like he's going to lead them for a long time. Um, but this year, he's just kind of cutting his teeth at the top level of hockey. And what I've noticed as I follow the team and as I follow, follow the sports writers that talk about the team, they're starting to pick up on something. And what they're starting to pick up on is that it has been obvious that the captain has been pouring into the rookie. The captain has been spending time and teaching and leading and guiding his apprentice. So much so that as the season has gone on and the, goal, the rookie goalie has played more and he, therefore he's had more opportunities to be interviewed by the press, that it's becoming harder and harder to know who's speaking, the captain or the apprentice. Because they sound almost identical now. And you can hear that the rookie is beginning to take on the traits of the captain. He has spent time with the captain and is adopting the things that make him such a great leader. And I believe here that this is part of the reason that they knew Peter and John had been with Jesus. Is because the boldness in the speech, the authority in their speech, the leaders saw so many things, so many characteristics, so many traits that they saw in Jesus because they were with Jesus. And in that, the people saw Jesus. And that is how our world today sees Jesus. The more time we as believers spend with Jesus, the more time we spend getting to know about him, the more we become like him. And when we do that, And the more we do that, the more that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, the bolder and bolder and bolder we can become in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that our world needs us to speak boldly 
and needs us to speak authoritatively the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why. Our media jumps on a story like this, where this past week, a former writer for the ministry of Desiring God, John Piper's ministry in Minnesota, Desiring God, a former writer who is also a former professor at Wheaton College, a very well-known conservative Bible university, denounced his faith and said his faith was a term that's been coined, I am deconstructing my faith. And our media jumps on that. And it's the headline everywhere. Well-known so-and-so, no longer a Christian. And people see this and begin to question their faith. And the reason why is because we don't have enough people in their lives speaking boldly about Jesus. And that is why we must be bold in our speech. The only way to do this, though, as Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking some charismatic Pentecostal Holy Spirit movement. I'm talking about Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, three in one living inside of you. And you do that only through that personal commitment, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Saying, yes, Lord, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. To take my sins to the cross, take them to death, to be buried in death, so that on the third day you may raise again and defeat that death forever. It's the only way. So we're going to have a time of response this morning, that if God is laying that on your heart and you want to to say, that's me today, that I am ready to surrender my life to Jesus and say, yes, I know he died for my sins and he rose again and I'm going to commit my life to him. We're going to have a funeral here in a couple hours and part of the funeral process is into the ground. We commit, commit the body, but the spirit is now with, with God. And when we give our lives to Christ, we commit our spirit to him. And he sends his spirit to live in us so that we might be bold in not just our speech, but all of our actions. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to be standing down front. The band is going to play a song. You can come talk to me. If you'd like to make this your church home, um, we'd be here as, I'll be here as well to, to talk to you more about that. Or if you just need prayer, um, I'll pray with you. The altar is open. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'll be back at the back in the welcome center by the coffee. Um, and I'd love to spend some time with you um, talking about this. But, um, so we're going to sing a song of response.